Welcome to Can, Can We, we talk, talk About This? I'm your host, Amberly from The Power of Birth. And I'm your producer, Rajelle from Bee Designs. And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes the entire podcast. This is not a place for small talk. We're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. Did you know you can find further resources on thepowerofbirth.net via the printable resources tab that includes things like a hospital bag checklist, postpartum toolbox, pelvic health information, and so much more. Don't forget while you're there to subscribe to thepowerofbirth.net for your free printable motherhood affirmations. I hope you love them as much as I do. In this episode, I chat to the lovely Sarah Zurl from Birth Made Mindful in Salt Lake City, Utah, USA. Sarah is a doula who has online courses available for pregnancy and motherhood, and she comes on the podcast today to chat about her birth experiences, cesarean section, VBAC, home birth, powerful stuff, and things she's learned about becoming a doula and how her story is essentially a story of evolution. Be sure to check the show notes for more information if you're interested. All right, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Sarah. I live in Utah in the United States of America, and I have three young boys. They're five, three, and one, and my husband, Bob. We have absolutely loved our children, but have also learned that parenthood is not for the faint of heart, and our experiences with birth have definitely changed us. Mm. And so tell me then what your journey was like having your first baby and entering motherhood for that first time. We were excited to welcome our first baby. He was planned and prayed for, and we selected a midwife in a hospital setting, which was the best thing for us in the end because we actually ended up having a C-section. My water broke before any signs of labor had started. And so after about 40 hours of laboring and not really dilating at all, I was only two centimeters dilated, they decided that it would be best to have a C-section That was really challenging because I had prepared with hypnobirthing. I had really wanted a natural, unmedicated birth. And in the end, you know, that wasn't our result. When he was born, his APGAR score was really low. And so he was actually in the NICU for a few days. Um, And so we were grateful that we were able to have a healthy delivery and a healthy son But then, of course, I was recovering from a C-section, and I didn't have any information about that because I had never, ever thought that that would be our situation, going into it thinking that we were just, you know, going to have this smooth, unmedicated delivery. Mm. I often find um, birth stories like this are quite common, where sort of women go in and it's just sort of the unknown because, well, we just think birth goes a certain way, don't we? And so we're not planning for something to necessarily go wrong or go bad or go in the opposite direction of what we want. So I find that a lot of, a lot of women struggle when that unknown comes up. So say they're prepping for a vaginal birth, but they end up having a cesarean section. Did this impact you in any way with having the birth go in that direction? 
I was disappointed. I think I was more disappointed throughout the process about halfway through when my providers were saying like, we need you to get on Pitocin. We need you to have an epidural and kind of feeling like I had lost my control of what my hopes and dreams were for my birth. Um, And so I definitely had experienced the fears or regrets, but not when it came to the C-section. Once they had recommended the C-section, I knew that, that that's how it would be. And then it was more, well, I was trying to prepare for my second birth that I realized this is the time for me to seize the moment. If I am going to have a VBAC, it has to be now because many providers in the United States won't support you as easily after two cesarean sections. So was it after your first birth that you decided you wanted to become a doula? It was not. It was actually after my second birth. And I I ended up choosing an obstetrician. My midwife uh, group was not able to support me with a VBAC because in the hospital setting where I delivered, you know, they have to have surgery training in order to then support you for VBAC. And I thought that she was an amazing doctor, that she did really well, but then it was my very last appointment that she told me that she was no longer able to support me in a vaginal delivery. So this was three days before my second son was born. And she mentioned to me, like, I noticed in your chart you had failure to progress, so you'll have failure to progress again. And I can offer you a repeat C-section, but that's all I can do for you. And my heart literally dropped out of my body. I had no idea what to do next. I wasn't sure if I should just immediately leave or continue the appointment. And luckily, I had hired a doula for this birth, knowing that you know having a VBAC is always a challenge or you know you need that support by your side. And so when I left, I immediately called my doula and she was a lifesaver. She said, I have a midwife that we should call. We can see if she can get you in tomorrow, you know, for your appointment and that she can support you in the delivery that that you want, the mode of delivery that's important to you. And that is exactly what we did. So we met with our doctor the next day, our midwife, and our baby was born three days late, but he was born in a birth center. And that was the most miraculous birth. It wasn't a short birth. It was also... Um, long because he was in the OP position or sunny side up, just like my first son was. And that was always my fear that I would have a malpositioned baby again. But she was patient and kind and, you know, helped work on positioning. They recommended that I go and see a chiropractor so that he could help to loosen all of my ligaments and hopefully have our baby rotate. So about two hours into his 28-hour birth we went to a chiropractor and was able to get everything shifted the baby dropped and when we got back to the birth center then we started talking about should we break the waters like you know is it time now to to have everything happen and so as we were talking about breaking waters she invited me to push down a little bit and that's when my water broke I got into the the birth tub and you know was preparing to deliver in the tub his heart rate started decelerating a little bit. And so they invited me to get on the bed. And then, you know, at that moment, she said, Sarah, I need you to push this baby out right now. And so I just pushed with all of my might. And he was born about 20 minutes after pushing. And it was just the most exciting 
and euphoric feeling that I probably have ever felt in my life, just knowing that he was here, that he was safe, that he was right on my belly. And we bonded, you know, for that, that time he got to nurse right away. And it just felt like a completely different experience than being under the knife. My recovery was 10 times easier. I was walking, I was going to the bathroom. I was in great spirits because the natural endorphins in my body were working overtime. And at that moment, I just thought, this is how birth should be. This is the power that women should feel when they give birth. And it really led me then to think there's got to be more that we can share with our friends and our families who are also in this experience. And that's when I decided, you know, maybe I should look into becoming a doula and supporting other families along this path. Mm. I mean, wow, what a birth. Still such a long sort of intense labor, but to end with the result that you so desperately wanted. Like I often hear from women who have VBACs, it sort of is like this really triumphant moment for them. And, you know, like I'm not sure if you're familiar um, with the researcher. I interviewed her a couple of episodes ago on VBACs, but she says like on the front of her book, like she's got like women with their hand up holding their baby because it was just like that describes like that feeling in that moment. And it sounds like you definitely had that. I did. And and I realized that that was the exact feeling I wanted when I delivered our third son as well. Yes. Well, before we get into your third birth, because I am very interested in, in that as well, um, I wanted to ask you what sort of were the considerations in you attempting a VBAC? Because I know VBACs, it, it is very dependent on your care provider and how supported you are. But were there other things outside of your care provider? The main reasons that I wanted to try for a VBAC was because of my recovery with my first son. Right. I'm not sure if it was part of the surgery, but I felt like my pelvic floor and having um, comfortable experiences while experiencing intimacy, all of that felt like it took a lot longer for me to recover. I didn't feel like I could really work out for many months after I had had my first son And that's when I realized that the recovery period could be different, or I was hoping that it would be different with a VBAC. And I was thrilled that it was. After the six weeks, you know, after my VBAC, I could run again. I could engage in intimacy without any pain or pressure. And I just felt like our bodies were actually made to do this. Mm. Our bodies weren't made for the recovery of a C-section. And so that gave me a lot of hope. And I studied a lot while I was preparing for a VBAC to understand if my desires were correct, if I actually was considering the safety of myself and my baby, because I didn't want to do anything that would put us at risk. And kind of being forced out of the hospital system felt unfair in a way because I wanted the reassurance that I could have immediate medical assistance if I needed it. But I also felt like it was my choice to at least attempt to have a trial of labor after cesarean. And having that removed from me just a few days before his birth felt like an injustice Mm. in a way. And so I knew then after I had 
my son in the birth center, that your provider makes all the difference. Having someone who can look you in the eye and tell you, I believe you can do this. Not someone who's going to say, you're going to have failure to progress. Mm. Or you might have a big baby and you won't be able to push him out. Those words really affect us and how our body can perform in this very intimate act of giving birth. We don't often realize the little things that can have such a big difference in our psychological understanding of what our bodies are capable of doing. I am very appreciative to this midwife who, even after so much time, you know, I, I was at the birth center, I think, for 10 hours of that labor, which is, in my opinion, that's, it is a long time mm. to be with someone who is needing your assistance and, and depending upon you for care. And unfortunately, I think that our hospital systems in America have now decided that the speed of a birth is more important than relying upon the natural progress of what birth could be. Mm. I absolutely agree with you with when it comes to the little things that happen to you or are said to you in labor or even in the lead up to labor where you're preparing your mind and body for birth. I think we deeply underestimate um, language and how that can change everything for better or for worse. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I did want to ask you, so you said that you had a doula with your second. What is that sort of the norm in America? Because I find here in Australia, you say the word doula and people go, well, what's that? The presence of a doula has become very popular. Mm. And I don't know if that is because the support that's needed isn't being offered by an obstetrician or the nurse, the nurses that attend to you. But I do believe that the age of, of having a doula has reemerged in some ways. An individual who is solely there to help the comfort of, of a woman. Mm-hmm. It's possible as well that the movement of, of doulas has come back into full force because more women are deciding that they'd like to try an unmedicated labor. And because our resources aren't as prominent for that type of delivery, then we need someone who can walk us through and talk to us about the positioning or the types of contact that we can have with an individual of using counter pressure or acupressure or so many different techniques that really, they do offer the pain relief that's needed in birth I also realized that a doula helps you to feel confident in your in yourself, in the power that your body possesses. My doula, she was gentle and kind and met with me multiple times before the birth and then also came afterwards and talked to me about my fears and my goals and all of the things that were important to me and that type of care, that personal touch. I think really makes a difference as you're preparing for labor. And I think it's important while we're talking about doulas for people to realize that doulas don't just support vaginal births. They support all types of births. Um, And there really is sort of, um, well, there's supposed to be no real sort of bias and they, they, they're helping guide you and what you want. And so, um, and that, that's just the way it should be. Um, But yeah, I think it's important to, 
say that as well. Um, but I love the fact that you had a doula. I'm such a big advocate for them. I think they're wonderful. In between my second birth and third birth is when I decided that I wanted to become certified as a doula. And so how was that process then? And sort of what has that led to now? Wonderful question. It started because my sister-in-law was pregnant with her first baby. And by sharing with her the joy that I felt having, you know, my vaginal birth, my VBAC, I convinced her to have an unmedicated labor. And she also experienced that just the being elated when her baby was placed in her arms. She considered me like her birth coach. And I realized at that moment that it is something that I could do. So in efforts to be more prepared to be a birth coach for individuals, I received my doula certification and then went on to create a birth course that I have available for anybody who's interested in doing a self-paced study online so that they can just learn how to prepare mentally and physically for their labors. It's always wonderful to have family who looks to you for their the wisdom that comes from experience. And I really felt proud that I was able to help be her coach as she went through a process that maybe otherwise wasn't understood or supported by other individuals. It's very common to walk into the hospital setting and request an epidural and then just have your baby. And it's not really looked at as as triumphant or victorious to do it any other way. And I think that's how it should be. I think that there's there's no fault in anybody requesting the medication when it's needed. I think it's unfortunate that it's not taught more often to individuals that there is a way that our bodies can can work through the process of contractions and that we have everything internally to support us during our birth. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the piece that is missing in our westernized medicine right now is that we are asked to be more dependent upon the medical system instead of depending upon what is deep within us. Mm. Yeah, I completely agree. And so how long have you been doulering then now? Yeah. So we launched our company Birth Made Mindful last year, mm. and we've been able to coach women and, you know, to help them through the program. It's been such a joy to have individuals, you know, bring over their little babies after they have have gone through our course. And my both of my sisters are involved in that project with me. And so we try to share resources and experiences, positive birth stories that can help individuals We've created birth affirmation cards and motherhood affirmation cards that can help individuals who are interested in in changing their outlook even before the event happens, mm. bringing some of that positivity and that joy that can be associated with birth instead of the fear or the trepidation or the nervousness. And I absolutely advocate that everyone should receive as much education as they feel comfortable with that they shouldn't go into a situation without a knowledge of what could happen or the types of events that they might prepare for. You know, when we prepare ourselves, we minimize the fear that we could have. And that has always been a source of strength to me that we don't want to sit inside of a lot of stories about birth trauma or, you know, those events that 
that things go wrong because it does go wrong. And in those moments, there's a lot of therapy that is needed. There's a lot of working through the emotions that come with a traumatic birth or a loss. But in general, I feel like we don't promote the positivity that comes from birth and the transformation that happens biologically and chemically within a woman. And so these are the resources that I'm hoping to to help other families that they can experience that joy that comes when they have the birth of their dreams, even if that includes an epidural, even if that includes a planned C-section. Mm. My own experiences, you know, don't dictate as much how I invite other people to prepare, but I do encourage everybody to be the driver in that car mm. of their labor and make sure that their wants and wishes are known, that they have the right to those and they never have to feel you know, like a second-class citizen when it comes to their experience. Mm, absolutely. Well, one of the things that sort of caught my attention when I read your story when you wrote to me was that you talked about, you know, the experience of letting go of timelines and sort of these mental blocks that you felt that you'd had in your first birth at least. Uh, and I would say that that may have come up within you in your second birth, but what did you mean by this and how do you think that letting go helped? No one can know how long a birth or a labor will take. If we look at averages or if we try to compare, all of a sudden we have created something within our minds and within our bodies that tells us that there is a moral standing if our birth isn't short enough or if if it's so long that then we're encouraged to choose a different route. Um, so in America, usually after 24 hours after your water is broken, you know, then the risk for infection and the safety of you and your baby is one of the primary reasons that they encourage a C-section. And sometimes those risks exist. Other times it is more about just looking at the clock and not looking at the, the progress that is taking place within the birthing person. And so as I was planning for my third birth and deciding if I wanted to go back to the birth center or to be in the comfort of my own home, I realized that one of the problems within my mind was wanting to get to the hospital or the birthing center at the right time. I didn't want to be too early so that I was then only two or three centimeters dilated and having to labor there for a long time, maybe inconveniencing other people. But I also didn't want to arrive too late, so then I wouldn't have the assistance that I, I knew I wanted. I didn't intend to have a free birth. And so I realized if I could just be in the comfort of my own home without tracking myself. So I actually never tracked any of my contractions during my third birth. I just allowed my body to rest as long as I could and and then wanted to see what my body could do without that strict sense of time mm. that there was any sort of expectation that labor would happen at a certain time. My labor started in the middle of the night and after a few hours in my own bed, I felt a little squirmish that I might be, you know, keeping my husband awake. So around 3 a.m. I moved myself to our guest room and I was able to sleep through some of the contractions. I don't know if it was 20 minutes in between or five minutes in between, but I just told myself that I wanted to rest and relax as much as possible. 
and that when real labor came, that I would know it and I wouldn't be able to rest anymore. And so as the sun rose, I started to feel the contractions come more steadily. And after about an hour, it was now probably, you know, 7 a.m., I realized that I should tell my husband that that I think that I'm in active labor. I think that I need your help, you know, to to support me and to to help get me through these contractions. And as I went upstairs, he said, let's just call the midwife, have her come over. Because I was also anticipating, you know, a full day of labor and maybe even the next day, like my other births, I told him, no, like we don't have to call her yet. And so then after a half an hour, he says, we're just going to call her. If she needs to come and then leave, she will. So when my midwife came, I was eight centimeters dilated. I was already able to just relax and release that control. I was able to surrender to the experience because instead of pushing away every contraction or like timing it to see if it was long enough, I was just allowing my body to work without my own brain kind of getting in the way of what my body was doing. I was so shocked that I had progressed that quickly, you know, like my, the time of my labor, you know, depending upon when it started in the morning was a total of, of nine hours. And for some that doesn't seem like a very fast labor, but in my own experience, that was miraculous mm-hmm. that it was only, you know, essentially a few waking hours before our baby was, was then born. And so my husband, after finding out that we were that far along, he had a lot of work to do. He had to fill the birth tub. He had to call our, our photographer for her to come over. And, and so I actually found myself just kind of alone in our home. My midwife wasn't there right by my side. She knew that just allowing me that serenity, you know, would help me not feel like I was on display or having to perform or maybe even, like you said, with time, that that she was concerned about the timing of anything. Sometimes when someone's watching us, we subconsciously act in a different way. And so after getting in the tub, I just, I felt so calm and so peaceful. And, and even though I was experiencing the pain of contractions, what I remember from the event is not pain. What I remember from that event is is love and beauty and support and and even a spiritual experience of welcoming this new soul to earth. I felt so excited that my baby was finally coming and that he could come in his own time and into the comfort of our own home. Um, it was really beautiful and I was able to deliver him in the birth pool. I did stand up a little bit um, because my midwife encouraged me to I think she noticed maybe that his shoulder would need to twist in a way that standing um, you know in a position would allow him to do so so he wasn't born underwater but but he immediately you know was placed on my stomach and I just had that sense again of victory and of excitement and you know all of the endorphins coursing through my body just you know, like giving me that relief that's needed, knowing that that everything was accomplished, knowing that I had the power within me to to birth this baby again and preparing for my third birth and knowing that it would be at home, I did have to come to terms that if we had to transfer, that that could be a situation and not to feel stressed about that event. If a transfer was needed and we needed to, to have a cesarean section, I knew that 
that in that situation, I had done everything possible for, you know, the birth to occur. And that's, that's very tricky because a lot of us, if, if we fail having a VBAC, we take it out on ourselves or Mm -hmm. we feel like it's our fault somehow. Mm -hmm. And my message is that it's never our fault that the medical system is here for us and it has life-saving different, you know, even just the C-section in general is a life-saving tool that can be used. And when it's used correctly, that's exactly what it does. I hope that individuals can trust in the power of their bodies and that they can have a voice to speak up if they feel like a C-section is not necessary But it's challenging Mm. because when the safety of ourselves or our baby is perceived, you know, like we are led to make different decisions. Um, Sometimes I I like to think like if it's a true emergency, then we'll know it and there won't be any discussion. Like, Mm. is this intervention needed or do you want to have a C-section? Right. Like if it's a true emergency, that will be the result and everybody will be grateful Mm. for that situation. Um. You know, but I do hope that through some of my work that we can avoid unnecessary C-sections. There are repercussions that that occur for a woman and for the size of her family eventually and for her recovery process. You know, it's it's wonderful just to be able to bond with a baby and not have to worry about pain medications and about lifting other children or possibly reopening an incision because of you know, like walking around or, you know, doing all of the things that are required of us essentially after we have a baby. Mm. And, and so that is, is definitely one of my missions that, that I hope I can respectfully propose to individuals who are in this space is that if something feels off and, and a C-section is recommended, but it doesn't feel like a true emergency that we can request time or we can request the, the pros and cons or the statistics and just make sure that we have all of the information Mm. before we, you know, make a decision that in a lot of people's eyes isn't a big deal, but for someone who then can experience both, it's a huge difference. Mm, It really is all the way from the birth to the recovery and months after in my own experience. And so I, I definitely vouch for individuals and, and try to make it possible for everybody to have the opportunity if that's what they want and Mm. if that's what is available to them with their medical conditions. Mm. I love what you were saying about timelines. It got me thinking about my first birth and just how fixated I was on time. You know, I've been in the shower for five hours. I need to know how dilated I am, how much progress have I made in this amount of time and how long is this going to take? Can someone give me an average or, you know, like I was very much like that and really set on those things and they were not helpful at all in hindsight looking back. I thought they were helping me, but they actually made me feel a lot worse. You know, the, um, so checking dilation and things like that's very controversial in the birth world anyway. But I really like every so often I wanted to be checked because how far am I, you know, how far along, how long have I got to go? Um, But we don't have evidence to support the timelines that we have anyway. So it's actually doing a disservice to women and families birthing because it doesn't necessarily mean that 
that timeline is going to suit you and your body. Um, we just, yeah, we have individual bodies and every birth is different. And we just talked about your three births and all three of them were so different. <laughs> um, and, you know, and mine as well. And I'm sure no matter who you speak to, they'd say the same. Um, but yeah, I think that you bring up really good points there as well. One of the coaching tips that I gave to my sister-in-law as she was preparing for her birth, um, I invited her to think of the phrase, if I can manage this contraction, I can manage my last contraction. Mm. Because like you said, we never know when that last contraction will happen. But if we're fixated on the amount of hours and how many more contractions can I bear and I just can't take this any longer then I think our mind starts to get in the way of our body. But if we just say, all that I have to think about is the next minute and calming my body, relaxing my breath, making sure that I'm sending the, the openness of, of my body so my baby can descend, that is what helps us progress. And as we're able to then gain more strength because we endure the pain of one contraction, we never have to question if we can do it again. We have just proven that we have the strength to make it through. And so it doesn't matter if there's two more contractions or 20 more contractions or 200 more contractions. If we simply focus on the contraction that we are in, then our labor will, in my opinion, it will progress faster because we're not fighting the process and and we're gaining more strength within ourselves as we, you know, kind of ride the wave of each of those. Mm. Yeah, really powerful and so helpful. And even for women that I know that have um, in their birth journeys and during their labor, use those techniques and had people advocating for them and all of that, but it's turned out um, you know, the outcome wasn't necessarily what they wanted. They still felt empowered. They still felt like their birth was positive. And I think obviously there are many things that can influence those feelings, but one of them being you feeling that, um, that support, but also that surrender as well. I definitely think there's something to it for sure. Um, I wanted to ask you, I love this question and I try and ask lots of mothers this question, but what has becoming a mother taught you versus what has becoming a doula taught you? I have learned so much about mother and I hate to be snarky, but let's think about it. Birth is the easy part (laughs) when it comes to motherhood, just the physical demands and the mental demands, the emotional that we pour into each of our children It's a lot that is asked of us, and I really feel that it has transformed me in ways that I never anticipated. I never anticipated loving and caring for another individual so much that I would essentially ignore my own needs or put myself on a back burner in a way that you wake up some days and think, wait, how am I doing? Mm. And, And that can be a good indication that some moments are needed to take time for yourself and, you know, the big buzzword of self-care that's all, you know, pervasive around the motherhood scene. Um, But I have learned in motherhood that if everything is done with love, that everything will turn out okay in the end. Mm. That's my biggest thing right now is just realizing 
that I love these humans and I'm going to make choices that are an indication of that love. And, and that's powerful because there's a lot of hate in the world. And so if each of us can maybe focus on just increasing the love that's within us and that we give to others, then we'll receive that in return. Mm, I love that. So what about becoming a doula? What's doulaing taught you? I think that one of the most important things that it has taught me is we all need someone to believe in us. Mm. And we need to know that deep within ourselves, we need to hear it. We need to see it. We need people to write us that note. You know, whether it's in the, the circle of birth or if it's every day, we just need people to believe in us. Mm, I love that. I, I so agree with you. I so agree with you. What about some words of encouragement to women who maybe have experienced birth trauma or are prepping for a different birth to what they'd had prior? Mm. Oh, I think this is such a good question because it does require so much work. We're not really able to overcome what we have lived in the past until we decide that we're ready to overcome it. And even in my own journey, you know, like I'll ask questions or I'll go back and look at those details of, is there something I could have done differently? Or am I holding on to resentment, you know, to my doctor who I feel like fired me just days before I needed her the most? And so we really do have to decide what is our main goal and what do we want to be the outcome of the experience. Mm. For some individuals, what they want is to know the exact day that their baby is going to be born. And so scheduling an induction is really important to them. So they know they can prepare for that day. They can have their mother or their mother-in-law right there with them. For other individuals, what's most important to them is to have a room full of the people they love, right? Like some people just invite everyone they know to come to that event. And I think it's really important for us to move past those feelings, to talk about those feelings, to write them down, to journal them, to write a letter and then throw it in the fire, to do all of those things that we need to so that we can overcome any feelings of hate, any feelings that hold us back from where we actually want to be. And and birth trauma it's not something that I talk about lightly. It's not something I want anybody to think that that we can just, you know, like say a few positive affirmations and we'll all be fine. There is some real harm that's done and some real psychological damage that needs to be resolved. There are so many professionals out there who are ready and willing to take you on and to accept every part of you. And as we... As we grow, as we evolve, I love to think about, you know, the the pots that are broken in that beautiful land of Japan and how they put it back together with gold. And then it's so much more valuable. And that's how we are sometimes. We're broken. And yet it is in the coming together again that we're able to feel whole. And it's not without evidence. When that gold is infused to that piece of pottery again, it's what you see are those cracks and those pieces, but now it's even more valuable. Hmm. And so anybody who is, is holding on to an experience that might have, have really damaged them, 
I hope that they will will take a moment to be gentle with themselves, to be gentle to everyone who might have been involved, and then to define what it is they want moving forward so that they can then possibly achieve the birth of their dreams. You know, it's very possible that my doctor telling me ahead of time what she was willing to support me in was the best gift she could have given me. Because if I had been in her care and in her, you know, delivery room on that day when what she actually wanted for me was a C-section, I also would have been then full of emotion and full of, you know, physical sensations of contractions and pain that I might not have been able to have that strength that I was able to receive by shifting who was my birth team mm. then at the last minute. And that was challenging. I I went into my second birth knowing that I could have the possibility of an epidural and I could and I would try to do everything possible so that I could achieve a vaginal birth. But then all of a sudden I was thrown into a world where I was asked to do this without any medication in a birth center where a transfer would involve, you know, possibly an ambulance or at least moving locations. And so that was that was a different set of expectations that I had to develop within a very short amount of time. Mm. And I asked a lot of questions to those around me, to my midwife and my doula and my husband, making sure that we had a backup plan, that we knew the signs of uterine rupture if anything were to go wrong. I definitely wasn't trying to make a choice or take an action that was based in pride, Mm. right? Like I was not going to jeopardize the health of, of myself or my baby just because my pride told me that I wanted to try for a VBAC. But I also wanted people to support me in the desire to have a birth the way that our bodies were made to birth. That didn't feel fair to me. Mm. And so knowing that this new group of people who then helped me realize what birth could be, like that is the forgiveness that that I needed within myself so I could move past any wrongs that I felt had been done to me. Mm. And for individuals who are out there and who may be experiencing, um, you know, like some of the unfortunate experiences that might take place in a hospital setting or with the dynamic of a doctor and patient relationship, I hope that they recognize that they can speak out, that they have a voice. And a lot of times we don't, feel like we have that voice Mm. because we think what will happen if I'm dismissed, if I don't have this support, if I don't have this doctor to help me deliver my baby, what will I do? And so we hold back or we deny the true desires of our hearts. And, and I'm fortunate because I was able to, to make those connections with my doula who knew a midwife who could take me on last minute. And not everybody feels like they have that power or that they have that option to change providers if things aren't going well with their provider. And a lot of times we don't recognize that that the strength within us and knowing our focus and so that we can ask for the things that we need, that can be the power that can change our birth story mm. and that can help us not have a traumatic experience in the moment that we can say, no, like, I do not want to consent to that procedure. And that's all it has to be. We don't have to dive into it. And if they ask again, we can just say no again. And we can do it out of love. Mm. I hate the thought that, you know, like 
being like having to battle or having to fight for the things that that you want in birth. And sometimes a little bit of confidence can go a long ways in letting somebody else know, like, this is what I've decided. And and like I said earlier, if there is a true emergency and if there is safety involved, those experiences will present themselves and it will be a much different conversation, you know, than if you're just feeling pressured mm. into an intervention or, or into something that's unwanted in your birth journey. Mm. And that, I think that's a lot of times how how the birth trauma feels like it's a weight on our shoulders because then we think, oh, I didn't speak up and I could have. Then other times we experience birth trauma because bad things can happen in birth. Mm. And unfortunately, that is part of this circle of life that that not every mother and not every baby will will come out. And and those are such sad, sad stories and sad experiences when we find, you know, infant loss and, and stillbirths and and those type of things that, that real birth trauma can stem from. Mm. And like, like anything, there's room for both, you know, there's room for all experiences and all experiences are welcome and all experiences are equally important. That was so wonderful, Sarah. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I really appreciate what you're doing in the birth space and I think you'd be a wonderful doula and I can't wait to share your story. Thank you so much for having me. I hope that every woman who listens knows the power within herself and can achieve just the birth that she really wants. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health, please don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can find us at The Power of Birth on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, thepowerofbirth.net. If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode. Thank you.